going on? Happy Friday. Pete Callender here, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Happy Friday. The phone numbers, as always, 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. And the email is Pete at the Pete Callender Show. You can also follow me on Twitter at Pete Callender. And remember, get the podcast. Comes down every day. Get three episodes. Basically, each hour is its own podcast. Comes right to your smartphone or tablet. Totally free. You don't have to do anything. All you do is go to WBT.com, find the podcast, and follow it. Follow them all, and then uh, you'll never miss a moment. So uh, while all of the – yes, they're getting ready to to do another round of voting. I think this is the 12th round uh, for Speaker of the House. I'll, I'll, I'll you know circle back in true Jen Psaki style uh, to that topic in the next hour. But I want to start with an update on the Twitter files, which we haven't – yeah. We haven't really heard a whole lot about it. Um, in it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We haven't really heard a whole lot about it in the last few days, even though there have been new installments of uh, the files that have dropped. And so want to kind of catch everybody up as to where we are because there have been even more revelations exposed by uh, these reports. So uh, this uh, latest batch, there were two of them, actually. One from, uh, they both came, actually, from Matt Taibbi, who was one of the uh, independent journalists who was brought in, and he's not a right-winger, he's a lefty guy, and he was brought in um, to uh, by Elon Musk to go through the, the files that are, uh, you know, on the computers and servers at Twitter to kind of reconstruct what was going on inside the uh, the company over the last five or six years. And first off, as I have pointed out before, the silence from legacy media outlets at all levels about this ongoing story. And this is a story like in the biz, we would say this story, quote, has legs because it can keep walking. It can keep moving. There's there are updates to it. And once the audience has uh, an understanding of the story, you can keep tacking on more and more and more, and it becomes this long series. And this is generally, in the news business, this is a preferable type of story because it's easy to assign somebody to it. It's easy to allocate the manpower, especially after you start doing the work. It's all there. It's sort of built in. You've seen this before. I've talked about it before where – you have uh, boilerplate language, basically, that makes its way into a story when a, a story first happens and there's some initial reporting on it. And then as the story has legs and it keeps on walking and it keeps on getting updated, you notice paragraphs and sentences and descriptions start getting replicated in all of the subsequent reports. And that's not an accident. That's not a couple different reporters coming up with different way or the same way to say something in different stories. It's it's a trick of the trade. You just go back to your files and you find out, okay, how did I say this, you know, in the previous story? And then you take that, you copy and paste it into the next story. And you keep that boilerplate language moving through. And so, and which makes it easier to do the story because you, if you're writing, you know, for word count, you already have a bunch of words already done. So if you're trying to make deadline, you got to make a certain number of word count, then boom, easy. 
especially when someone is doing all of the work for you, like the journalists that are doing the drops on the Twitter files. So the... Right. That's because I said Twitter files again. Okay. So the, so the latest one, one of the latest batches uh, from Taibbi, this one is titled How Twitter Let the Intelligence Community In. In August 2017, right, so after Trump's elected, he's inaugurated, you're in your first summer, Facebook then decides to suspend 300 accounts with, quote, suspected Russian origin. Right. So remember the time we were in? This was at the height of the Russia collusion story. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe the Russians threw the election for Trump and he's illegitimate. He's a he's Putin's puppet. And a lot of people on the left still believe that to this day, by the way, election deniers, you might call them. But Twitter wasn't worried. I mean, Facebook suspended all these accounts, but Twitter wasn't worried because they looked at their uh their accounts and their users, and they said, we don't really have a Russia problem. Now that the story, this comes from one of the the honchos at Twitter, now that the story is out, it seems like the focus is on the purchasing of $100,000 of Facebook ads by these Russian accounts. He says, understanding that we did not see a big correlation of our platform that Facebook found on theirs, have we run the analytics or the analysis, rather, of whether the accounts we did have purchased uh, Twitter promoted products? Twitter was so sure that they said the best PR. So they looked at their own users and they were like, not a problem for us. Not sure what's going on over at Facebook. You got some Russian people that bought $100,000 worth of ads, and that's what totally swung the election to Trump, right? So they said, we don't have a problem. And so they say the best PR strategy is don't say anything on the record and just direct the reporters over to Facebook. (laughs) Just send them all over there. Then comes September, so about a month later. Twitter is not the focus of inquiry into Russian election meddling right now. The spotlight is on Facebook. That is what the public policy vice president, Colin Crowell, wrote to staff to other honchos inside Twitter. And the email says, uh, let's see here, I'm going to schedule time uh, for this group to discuss Russian election meddling and implications for Twitter. The FBI announcement today is going to draw us into conversations with Congress, and we need to duly assess what we know and be responsive to inquiries from Capitol Hill. Right, so they're planning, they know Right, they know that that Facebook banned these accounts, and they know all the attentions on Facebook. They've been sho- uh, shoveling all of the reporters towards Facebook. Oh, you want to talk to them? You want to talk to them? But now they're getting summoned, and they know that this is going to lead to inquiries from politicians. We are due to see the Democratic staff of the Senate Intelligence Committee, uh, committee which was Senator Mark Warner. Democrat out of Virginia, his staff. They were planning to meet with him at the end of September to talk about this very thing. They said it's not going to be a public meeting. It'll be private. Also, Representative Adam Schiff of the House Intel Committee has put out a statement this evening 
indicating that he'll be looking for answers from, quote, other platforms on the Russian-related issues that Facebook disclosed today. So what is he describing here? Remember the time. Democrats are running around Russia, 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 Russia. Collusion. Trump's a puppet, right? And Facebook then comes out and says, whoa, we found 300 accounts. Some of them even bought ads. $100,000 worth of ads. That's how Trump won. And so then these Democratic Congress people, they start saying, hmm, well, what about other social media platforms? Is it possible that Russia, Russia, Russia may have been involved in other social media platforms? Maybe they purchased like $50,000 worth of Twitter spots. It's possible. You don't know. Trump's a puppet. In September 2017, after a cursory review, Twitter informed the Senate that it had suspended some possible Russian accounts. 22. (laughs) 22 accounts. They said there's 179 others with possible links. And then there's a larger set of 2,700 that uh, they were that were manually examined. Oh, okay, so you looked at 2,700 accounts, but you only suspended 22 of them, so one percent roughly. Receiving these meager results, a furious Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, ranking Democrat on the Intel Committee, held an immediate press conference to denounce Twitter's report as, quote, frankly, inadequate on every level. So what's going on? Pressure. Pressure is being brought to bear right out in public. Why isn't Twitter, quote, finding more Russian accounts? Well, Twitter does respond. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, Pete Callender here. So, after meeting with congressional leaders, Colin Crowell from Twitter, one of the VP of policy guys, management type, um, this is back in 2017, he sent out another message to Jack Dorsey, the, the founder of Twitter and a bunch of others, and he's like, hey, uh, Senator Mark Warner from Virginia has political incentive to keep this issue at the top of the news, talking about Russia collusion and all of the accounts that we're finding, but they aren't finding them. They only found 22. And that was not enough for Mark Warner. And so what Crowell is telling Twitter management is that these Democratic leaders have a political incentive to keep the issue top of the news and maintain pressure on us and the rest of the industry to keep producing material for them. Quote, unquote. What's more, Crowell added that Democrats were taking cues from Hillary Clinton, who that very week had said, quote, it's time for Twitter to stop dragging its heels and live up to the fact that its platform is being used as a tool for cyber warfare. Right. So this is the narrative laundering occurring. Right. You got them all pushing in the same direction. Oh, by the way, did you hear that? Hillary Clinton is, uh, yeah, she was a na- uh, hired by some college, uh, like an Ivy League college, where she's going to be like a visiting professor or something of public or, yeah, or global affairs. Not kidding. Not kidding. 
Anyway, in growing anxiety over its PR problems, Twitter formed a task force. They called it the Russia Task Force. And uh, they said, we're going to do this to proactively self-investigate. But the search for Russian perfidy was a dud. They didn't find anything. Well, I mean, they did find something. They found no evidence of any kind of a coordinated approach. All of the accounts that they did find seemed to be lone wolf type activity. You know, the guys that the uh, FBI always ignore right before the mass shootings. They found 15 high-risk accounts, three of which had connections with Russia. But two of them were Russia Today, the TV station. So <laughs> kind, of, kind of obvious that they would have connections, right? So what did Twitter do? Under the pressure from the Democratic leaders, they recoded their models so they could get more hits. They built a new version of the model that is lower precision but higher recall, which allows us to catch more items, they said. We aren't seeing substantially more suspicious accounts. So even after they redid their model, ran it again with a lowered standard, they still couldn't find enough Russian bots, Russian uh, collusion accounts. So then they did their manual review with like 2,500 accounts, full manual reviews. They called it exhaustive. 32 suspicious accounts. Only 17 of them were connected with Russia. Two of them have significant, uh, of those have significant spend, one of which is Russia Today, coming in at, so in other words, they're looking like, who's buying ads? And the only one that had any kind of significant spending on ads on Twitter was Russia Today. And the amount of money was under $10,000. Which totally swung the election for Donald Trump. Meanwhile, over at Facebook, headline, Russian influence reached 126 million people through Facebook alone. Right? So here's the pressure. Facebook is playing ball. Facebook's like, oh, my gosh, look at them. They're doing all this stuff. I remember doing this story. I remember covering this. Look, there was a Charlotte, what was it, Black Matter Lives or something, Black Matters Live or something. It was like some, yeah, like a twist off of the BLM name, and they did some some march, some protest, and, like, some woman comes in from out of state to help organize this thing with a local organizer off of a Facebook group, and she's got with her some guy who's, like, seven feet, 400 pounds, doesn't speak any English, has a Russian accent, you know? <laughs> yeah, so maybe Russia was more active on Facebook. But the failure of the Twitter task force to produce material made their PR crisis worse. In the weeks after uh, Senator Warner's press conference, a torrent of stories sourced to the Intelligence Committee started pouring into the news. This is the laundering operation. The, intelligent, the Democrats on the Intelligence Committee start planting stories inside friendly media outlets like Politico. October 13th, Twitter deleted data potentially crucial to Russia probes. So, to, so the Intel people, the Democrats on Intel are smearing Twitter, saying they deleted files that would prove the collusion. What else here? Thomas Ridd, John Hopkins professor and Intel committee expert, quote-unquote, he told Politico, were Twitter a contractor for the FSB, the Russian uh, intelligence uh, agency, right? The FSB, well, if... It, were Twitter a contractor for the Russians, they could not have built a more effective disinformation platform. 
All of this is designed to apply pressure to get Twitter to start censoring and blocking accounts. Because, as Lee Smith points out in a very lengthy piece at Tablet Magazine, tabletmag.com, for a lot of these people, the argument became Russia equals Trump. It was a very simple matrix. Everything that you see about Russia is about Trump. That was the purpose. That's the intent. As Congress then threatened legislation that would cost Twitter a lot of money, Twitter uh, was subject to more bad press fueled by these committees. And as that happened, the company, lo and behold, changed its tune about how small of a problem the Russia thing was on their platform. In weeks after the first briefing, Twitter leaders were told by Senate staff that Senator Warner feels like tech industry uh, has been in denial for months about this. One Intel staffer said, quote, big interest in that Politico article about deleted accounts, right? So you plant the story or you leak the story, then you use that report as the evidence to get your desired outcome, which was the purpose of the leak or the plant in the first place. This is narrative laundering. The same thing happened with the Steele dossier. This is a this is a tactic that the intelligence agencies have been using for decades. And they're using it against us now. And then and then even as Twitter prepared to change its ad policy and remove Russia Today and Sputnik uh, in order to placate the Democrats in Congress, Democrats turned the heat up more, apparently leaking the larger list of 2,700 accounts that were subjected to the manual review, but they didn't find anything about them, right? Intel took the, 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 the politicians took that information and leaked it to their allies in the media, who then began swarming reporters from all over, start calling Twitter about the Russia links, and then BuzzFeed, working with the University of Sheffield, claimed to find a new network on Twitter that had close connections to Russia-linked bot accounts. All of this is to get Twitter to play ball, and play ball they did. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. This is the reminder also, every time I do the uh, do this topic and do the the latest from you know, any of these reporters who are uh, you know reporting on the Twitter files that uh, right, okay so the right, the whole point here is that this is just one platform this was occurring in in different ways across all big tech and that means like through email means Yahoo uh, search results Google YouTube Facebook Instagram but also uh, Legacy media outlets, reporters that cover this stuff for their beats, right? The, all, all of them were all in on this very kind of activity. And I suspect that's why a lot of them are ignoring the story. Because this, I mean, this is a scandal of epic, historic proportion. And I don't say that about a lot of things. Only the really historically, you know, epic ones. Um, I don't, I, I try not to deal in hyperbole. Unless I go so far over the top that it's obvious it's a joke. And even then, I throw in the rim shot just to make sure everybody knows. There you go. See? So I, 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 I don't say this. And, and not, every one of the, uh, not every one of these installments uh, has been, to me, 
newsworthy, so I don't bring every one of them to you. But this one, the last, the last few, there have been maybe like four out of the, I think they're up to 11 or 12 dumps now, uh, or installments uh, of, of the Twitter files. They're up to, it's like a dozen. It's like almost as many, uh, right, it's almost as many um, uh, installments as uh, votes now for Speaker of the House. Anyway, all right. Um, so Twitter internally does not want to endorse the findings of this quote-unquote Russian bot network that supposedly BuzzFeed found. Now, I don't trust really anything from BuzzFeed. Just automatically, I don't, because they're just usually awful. Um, they said, look, all right, well, they, they took a look at their report, and they said, look, there are definitely some bad accounts in this crop, but they're basically active in Germany and in England, not really related to the U.S. election, and there's no clear sign that they're associated with that Internet Research Agency, the IRA, that was the Russian bot farm. They couldn't find any connection there. Didn't matter. When the BuzzFeed story came out, the Senate, a.k.a. the Democrats, asked for a write-up of what happened. Twitter then began apologizing for the same accounts that they had initially told the Senate were not a problem. This cycle, this... would later become formalized, okay? The cycle is this. Threatened legislation tied to scare headlines that get pushed out, leaked out by congressional and intelligence sources, and that then prompts Twitter to cave to the demands for more, quote, moderation, a.k.a. censorship. And this becomes formalized in the partnerships with federal law enforcement. This was explicit, by the way. Twitter knew what was happening. They said, uh, quote, given, uh, this is an internal email among management, uh, we have, uh, given we have now suspended all accounts, we will take a hit in the press that moves from BuzzFeed to more establishment publications. We will work to contain it. Relatedly, we can expect more investigation of accounts that are tangentially associated with that IRA group and uh, uh, to the U.S. committees, the congressional committees, buoyed by academic brand names. Here's the key. Reporters now know this is a model that works. What does this indicate? That the reporters are active participants. They are active participants in pushing a narrative that has been laundered from intelligence agencies, from Democratic members of Congress and their staffs, the reporters are active allies. They are participants. So what Twitter did, they settled on a posture. In public, they tell everybody, we remove content at our sole discretion. That's what they told us. Privately, They offboard anything that's identified by the intelligence community as a state-sponsored entity conducting cyber operations. They just defer to the intelligence agencies. Twitter let the USIC into its moderation process, and it would not leave. And then Adam Schiff's office makes an appearance in one of the dumps. It was, well, I mean, with a name like Schiff, how could he not show up in one of the dumps? That's... It was revealed, sorry, all right, sorry, it's a cheap shot, sometimes I take them. It was revealed in the latest Twitter files that the Office of Representative Adam Schiff made requests for Twitter to suspend accounts. In the second of two 
back-to-back batches of Elon Musk's Twitter files shared on Tuesday. Shared on Tuesday by Substack writer Matt Taibbi, he reported that Twitter, quote, received an astonishing variety of requests from officials asking for individuals they did not like to be banned. That's what it was. An astonishing variety of requests from officials asking for people they didn't like to get banned. One example, November 2020, Schiff's office contacts Twitter, hoping that the company would take action regarding, quote, alleged harassment from QAnon conspiracists against Schiff's staff, including one of his aides. Quote, remove any and all content about Mr. Sean Misko and other committee staff from its service to include quotes, retweets, reactions to that content. Suspend the many accounts, including... Greg Rabini and Paul Sperry, who have re- uh, repeatedly promoted false QAnon conspiracies. Paul Sperry's, uh, he's a journalist. So Adam Schiff uses Twitter to try to censor a, a journalist. Schiff's office also requested that Twitter, quote, stop the spread of future misinformation on Twitter regarding committee staff and label and reduce the visibility of any content. Much of the installment of this, uh, the 12th installment was focused on the eagerness from Senate, uh, from the, rather from the State Department's Global Engagement Center, the GEC. I'm going to talk more about this uh, in a minute. The GEC, which Matt Taibbi described as a fledgling analytic intelligence arm to participate in guiding Twitter's moderation of content. Once again here, even Twitter knew that this was getting political. When the State Department is trying to is trying to get its fingers into the pie, Twitter was like, mm, "This is State Department." I mean, those guys. I guess one thing if it's the FBI because like they're law enforcement, but State Department totally political. They knew what was happening. They knew what was happening, and at first they were not comfortable. But over time, when threatened with legislation and uh, fines and such, they got a little bit more comfortable with it. They got a little bit more comfortable. Talk 1110-993-WBT. Kevin McCarthy has picked up five flippers. Five people have flipped after they were in negotiations last night into today to get more concessions out of uh, the Republican leadership in the House. Dan Bishop now supporting McCarthy along with Brechin or Brechine, Brechine, Cloud, Clyde, and even Byron Donalds. So five, uh, five of the 20 have now flipped. So McCarthy might actually pull it out on the 12th round here. Let me go over here and get David on the program. Hello, David. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, thanks for all your work, Pete. I really enjoy your show. Thank you, sir. Um, the, the, the information that you've been given today is just overwhelming. Yeah. Um, my question is, who's going to jail? Probably um, me or you. No, Adam Schiff, shouldn't he go to jail? I, well, so far, I'm not aware of anything that he has done that's technically statutorily illegal, right? Because he, what he's doing is censorship by surrogate, right? He's using, he's telling them, hey, you need to you need to censor these guys. Now, maybe there's some sort of extortion kind of thing going on. I don't know. I, mean, I definitely think there's ethics violations. I definitely think he should be censured. I think he should be kicked off of any committee. Um, and that, that's what, this is one of the things that like 
this whole fight over the Speaker of the House vote has got me concerned that we're not actually going to get to do some of these things, like removing Adam Schiff and censuring him. But no one's going to jail. It's disconcerting. I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I agree. I agree. This and it, what I hope to do is is to keep doing these stories as long as they keep you know putting out this content. I keep doing it, hoping that other uh, media outlets and other journalists take an interest in some component of the story and start tracking down other uh, other paths. You know, start start looking at other actors and other platforms and and looking at at fleshing out more of this information. So oh, I appreciate the call, David. I don't, do not know. I think he got. He may have been beamed up by an alien. That's what that sounded like. Like someone, like a spaceship came overhead and just zoop, just took him up. Um, Cindy says on the Twitter machine, it's a Pete tweet. Pete, if you stay on the Twitter files, you'll have more of the, oh, sorry, you'll have the most, okay. She says, if you stay on the story, you'll have the most listened to radio show. There is not enough information anywhere except for on Twitter itself. Please keep covering this endless material for your show, that's for sure. Thank you, Cindy. I, I, I do intend to, to keep doing it as long as they keep churning out the content. I'm going to keep bringing out uh, the highlights of it, what I think are the most egregious and scandalous aspects of the story. Um, because, it, it, like, to me, this is, this is it's dangerous, it's disturbing, it's kind of scary that you've got all of these people all on the same page, doing the same thing, targeting the same people. They're weaponizing our means of communication. Um, Adam Schiff also uh, requested... Oh, I'm sorry, I was going back backwards. Hang on, I got to get to the GEC. Right, so I mentioned this before. The State Department's Global Engagement Center, which Matt Taibbi, the journalist, describes as a fledgling analytic intelligence arm for the State Department, began participating uh, in guiding Twitter's moderation of content and how it often used the media to clash with the tech giant beginning in February of 2020 as the coronavirus pandemic was underway. The GEC flagged accounts as Russian personas and proxies based on things like describing the coronavirus as an engineered bioweapon. So think about this. The State Department has its Global Engagement Center flagging Twitter accounts and users for saying something like, hey, coronavirus is an engineered bioweapon. That means you. That means me. You're having a discussion with somebody and you say, yeah, you know what? It came out of China. And you know me with commies. I don't trust anything that they say. Like, to me, the biggest piece of evidence that it it was, in fact, a bioweapon being worked on by uh, uh, the Chinese in uh, the lab in Wuhan with the help of American tax dollars and expertise is the fact that the commies said it wasn't. Seriously. When they tell you it's nighttime, you should check the sky because it's probably not nighttime because they're communists. Okay, let me go to Peter here. Hello, Peter. Welcome to the program. Great name. How are you, sir? I am well. What's going on? I want your viewers to go to the internet and search for David Wheeler bit shoot. David Wheeler bit shoot. 
Okay. And uh, he's a crisis actor. Really? He was at Sandy Hook, and he was really Peter. I take it back. I don't like your name anymore. Crisis actors, really, Pete? Ah, I do. I have to play Defender Disavow now because my name is Pete as well. So they're going to stick a microphone in my face and say, "Do you agree with Peter, who said that the crisis actors like I can't believe you used your uh, your your twenty seconds on the air to spread." That kind of stupidity. Are you aware that Alex Jones is about to go bankrupt because of the lies he told about crisis actors at Sandy Hook? You're an idiot, Peter. You're an idiot. Good Lord. Crisis actors at Sandy Hook. All right, let me take this opportunity to explain why I have such uh, disdain for that that kind of uh, idea. First off, you're trafficking in conspiracy theories at the expense of parents who have lost their children. And I know you don't believe that, but that's the truth. The other thing is I don't want anybody to get their brains infected with that kind of idiocy, right? But more importantly, like all conspiracy theories, at the heart of them rests a refusal to accept that somebody doesn't have a plan for everything. And that is, the, that is the truth. That really is the truth. That bad things happen. People, 19 guys with box cutters can in fact hijack a bunch of planes. That can happen. Somebody with one gun can in fact go in and murder a whole bunch of kids. It can happen. And there's like this switch that people have in their brains. Like I cannot deal with that. I cannot, I cannot uh, handle that reality, and so I am going to just deny that, and I'm going to construct this elaborate idea that people are paid to pretend that they lost their children in a mass school shooting. You are an idiot, Peter. Please do not ever call my show again. Thank you.